Now you're all come back. I'm joined this morning by debut novelist Colin Walsh, uh, whose new novel Cala was the subject of a publishing bidding war, Colin, uh, which we'll talk about later. And if you like a good coming of age murder story, small town claustrophobia and a cinematic style, this one is for you. Good morning to you, Colin. Good morning. How's it going, Oliver? How are, are, you, you? are you floating through the clouds? I'm definitely, yeah, I'm having a permanent out of body experience at the moment. It's very, yeah, it's very surreal, you know. It all feels like it's happening to someone else, but yeah. in a good way. You it's know? good because you're never going to be a new first time novelist, are yeah, you? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, you've been, yeah, you've been yeah. writing forever. <laughs> um, Cal, I've I, I bigged it up enough of that at this stage, so we're going to leave it to you to kind of give us a, an overview of what this story is about and why people are, are so excited about it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Cal is a story where it's set in a fictional west coast of Ireland town, a tourist town, and the story follows a group of friends who we follow as teenagers and as adults so as teenagers we're with them really for like you know the summer of their lives so they're passing through all these thresholds like the first love the first kiss the first time getting drunk you know all that kind of feverish giddy hormonal magic Um, and at the center of this group of friends is Kala she's 15 year old girl she is the leader of the group she is their emotional core their heartbeat but the thing is that beneath every, you know, sunlit, smiling surface of this town, there's this kind of broiling darkness that's constantly threatening to swallow the characters. Yeah. And as this summer goes on, the kids are getting closer and closer to that darkness. And by the end of that summer, uh, Kala goes missing. So 15 years later, uh, three of the surviving members of that original group of teenagers are thrown back together when human remains are found in the woods. Mm-hmm. And the past and the present begin to dramatically and violently collide. Yeah, and and it's it's two thousand and three at the uh, when they're teenagers, exactly. which is an interesting time to be a teenager, yeah. sort of the, just before the dawn of mobile phones and everything like that. Yeah, is that yeah. on purpose to kind of? Yeah, I mean, like it's uh, it's definitely. Uh, I mean, historically, I suppose it's twenty thirteen, uh, two thousand and three, and then twenty eighteen, and then two thousand three. I mean. On one level as well, it's just because that's it, it maps onto my own kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> my own adolescence too. But also, I mean, every every storyteller now, whether they're TV writers or novelists or whatever, will will say that like smartphones and things like that have made it extremely difficult to tell like mysteries because <laughs> obviously the, all the cliffhangers that you would have had in stories of the past. You could just resolve them straight away by, you know, I WhatsApp the person that like, don't go into that dark house with your man with the knife waiting for you in the kitchen. Whereas, you know, so yeah. Find anyway. my iPhone. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It solves all your problems. So yeah. And maybe AI is going to take care of a fiction. Oh no. Yeah. Isn't it? Uh, this is written by a human, thank goodness. Uh, it's your first novel. There was a five, six way bidding war, they say, in the publishing industry. What, what does that mean? Um... So basically what happens is when you've when you've finished the manuscript, uh, you know, you share with your agent and your agent kind of when your agent decides that it's ready to be sent out to potential publishers, okay. they send it out to people that they think to publishers that they think will be interested. And if you if a publisher is interested, brilliant. If more than one publisher is interested, then it goes into uh, kind of an, an auction is what it's called. Okay. And then if you have a number of publishers interested, that auction kind of escalates to what would be called a bidding war, <laughs> yeah. which makes it just sound like this, yeah, you know, people raising cards in the air and kind of, you know, <laughs> but it's not like that at all. It's much more like you're having meetings with all of the individual editors and they're talking to you about the book and their vision wow. of the book and Sounds what they think about it stressful. and things like that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, I didn't really sleep much throughout the whole process. It was like constant headaches and like, you know, uh, yeah. But but it was in a, in a very good way. Obviously, it's the most exciting thing. It's the kind of, of thing that you yeah. dream of, you know. And uh, yeah, you, you, you would dream of that happening. But when you're in it, it's, it, again, it's kind of like what it is now, this out-of-body experience. But um, But basically, a lot of what it is is... You know, it's when you say a bidding war, it sounds like it's much more about money. Yeah. Um, and of course, there is the money element of it, but a lot of it is about trying to find who you have, who you feel like you have a click with. Um, mm-hmm. the editor whose vision of the book, you know, you feel like this person really gets what I'm going for. Or this person really, yeah, they're connecting to the book in the way that I really want people to connect to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that process went on for a, a couple of weeks, and uh, and then. So yeah. you don't decide based on the money. You decide. No, no, I no, I I decided on the basis of my my editor uh, James okay. is his name, and he was yeah. Just after our first conversation, I was like, "This is the guy." Yeah, for sure. And they've, they've done a great job of it because it is sort of it, like even look at the cover. You're kind of going, "This is going to be very literary." Mm-hmm. And then you get into it, going, "Oh, this is like a kind of a, a, a gripping crime." Is there kind of a is there some some sort of mixture going on there on purpose or? Yeah, I mean, I guess like it's I I didn't like deliberately engineers in that kind of way or whatever because you don't really know what you're going to write until you're writing it. But I know that like one of the big influences on the book would have been something like Donna Tartt's The Secret History where you have this combination of the yeah the psychological richness and emotional depth of you know a more typically literary fiction but with the kind of propulsive page turning momentum of a thriller and I I love those two sort of strands of storytelling so I really wanted to fuse them together in the book but again you can't really be too uh, you're not really in control of that as you're in the writing you know, you're kind of following the story where the story wants to go and then gradually you begin to realise, oh, there's this kind of, there's this fusion going on here, so. Uh, the setting is the west of Ireland. That's where, yeah. is that where you're from? Uh, yeah, I'm from Galway. Well, I, 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 I was given out to by my cousin yesterday, so I have to say I was born in Dublin. He said, he said, you're, ah. you're, he said, you're, you're, you're rejecting your Dublin roots. So I was born in Dublin, <laughs> but I grew up in Galway. We moved to Galway when I was three. Is this the point so, where yeah. someone's seen your passport? And they've said, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, said, no. he, yeah, he was, he was going to like scan my birth cert and send it into you <laughs> to be like, you know, this is a, uh, yeah, Dublin erasure. So uh, <laughs> Did you left Dublin after, you know, yeah, less yeah. than a week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I have Louth on my passport instead of Monaghan. And that's because you know there was the, there was the closest maternity hospital. So yeah. maybe we could start a campaign. You know, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, get some kind of um, <laughs> like car edge type thing stuck onto us. Uh, so you're a Galway fella, all right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it feels like Galway. I mean, I, it's called Kinloch. Yeah, and I you know there's things like the Widow's Arch, which I'm immediately reading as Spanish Arch. There's a square, yeah, uh, which I immediately see as uh, Air Square. Yeah, yeah. Is it Galway? It no, it isn't Galway, but it is. You know, obviously, anyone who's familiar with Galway will definitely see the reference points uh, for different mm-hmm. places. Um, but actually, the influence—one uh, of the influences that I had about like inventing my own place—is just you know, people like Stephen King would have done this with Derry, for example, where a lot of his stories yeah. are set. It's a fictionalization of where he's from in Maine. But one of the influences for me was. I saw a painting a few years ago by uh, the painter Sheila and he had done a painting of Vienna. Um, but if you're, I, I was with someone who was from Vienna and they were saying, what's interesting about this picture is that it's all wrong. Um, all the buildings, uh, all the locations are scrambled. So something that belongs on the north side of the city is next to something that's in this in the west. Okay. That building should be bigger, but it's smaller than that one. And it, as a, as an actual map of Vienna, it makes no sense. 
but he said that what the painting is is it's a kind of it's a representation of the Vienna that lives in his heart so it's all the places that had emotional connections for him that he's kind of put them together in this collage and that's like the Vienna that lives within him right and in a sense I think that was sort of how I built this fictional town of Kinloch was I was kind of collaging all these different places from throughout my life um, in order to serve the story, of course. You that know? makes sense because the Warren, which is the kind of country roads outside that, yeah. that don't exist right outside Galway because we know it's all roundabouts. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Increasingly it so, so, so. Kinloch, But you couldn't call it Galway. You're not call it Galway and have your own kind of mangled version of Galway. No, because... I like, wonder about authors. That's, my, that's why I'm asking. I don't yeah, want to yeah, yeah. this particular point. No, why, why you don't just call it Galway? I think it's because, well, it's just, it's first of all, it's, it's a smaller place than Galway. Uh, like Kinloch is, it, it's more rural than Galway. Um, it is, you know, I, I guess I was in Westport uh, over Christmas. Well, I hadn't been in Westport since I was a kid. And when I was there, I was like, oh, like this is kind of the, it, in terms of the scale and the fact that it's very popular with tourists and things like that. I was like, oh, this is actually kind of a closer correlate to the Kinloch that's ah, in the that's book, you know. Point. yeah. Um, yeah. Because Galway is, yeah, obviously sprawling. It, it's, it's sprawling, you know. Um but also it's because if you if you have your own setting, you're giving yourself a lot of creative permission then to do certain things geographically and things like that. Whereas if if I'd set something in Galway, you'd have someone being like, well, you can't really get from that street <laughs> to that street in 10 minutes. Yeah, you know, yeah. so uh, I, you know, I didn't need I the didn't need to do that. Mystery solvers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you write it in Galway? No, no. Um, I wrote it uh, mostly in Belgium because, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm based in Belgium. Uh, have been for the last few years. So, uh, yeah. So I, I wrote it. Uh, I mean, I've been working on it for years, you know. Um, yeah. But um, primarily writing it uh, based in Belgium. But um, yeah, does you know, that, does that make a difference when you're writing about home? Um, I think so. I think like for me, anyway, uh, it's it. I think like something that's quite common for a lot of writers, I think, is that on some level, you're always a little bit outside the experience of where you are. You're always holding yourself a bit back and kind of observing things. And I think for me, as someone who's living outside of Ireland, it makes it easier for me to write about Ireland by not being there. It's like you're, it's easier to put a frame on something when you're not in, immersed in it. Do you know yes, what I mean? Yes. Um, all of which sounds very abstract, but like it is easier for me to write about Ireland from outside. Yeah, that um, makes sense. It I just think. makes it easier to put a shape yeah, on. So it's like a safer space as well that you're kind of writing about home. Yeah, the, the characters then, these yeah. teenagers. Did you know these teenagers? Are they kind of compounds of people you you know? It's no, <laughs> like I mean, yeah. I mean, like I definitely know them in the sense I really, I really know the characters super well. Like they're very real to me. But it's not like um, I wasn't kind of combining people from real life. It's not based on any particular people from my life at all. Um, mm-hmm. There are no kind of you, it doesn't map on. I mean, there are certain books, particularly now, like with, you know, there's a type of book, autofiction, which is very much uh, where someone kind of just fictionalizes their autobiographical material. And yeah. my father in the book is my father in my life and stuff. But that isn't that is not the case in this, um, because basically fiction is much it's much richer and broader than the self for me uh, as a writer. And it's not that I, I wasn't writing the book about myself or about people I know. Um, It's more, I'm I'm writing the book for the reader, you know, and what's been really nice about this is that, you know, I've had people in like their sixties and people in their twenties talking about how like they 
recognize themselves in these kids. Yeah. Um, because and, and we recognize were all... also other people that we exactly. know. Exactly. The yeah, Kala yeah. character who is very, very richly drawn mm-hmm. through the eyes of all the other characters mm. is like, it feels like someone that we all, like someone that we know. Yeah. You know, or, or I don't want to say, I don't want to say the type of girl that we know, do you know, but there's a darkness to her. There's like a confidence that sort of, she, she feels so damaged that she has this weird confidence about her. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that was something that I was very deliberately trying to do with the way that the book is structured. So like, just for like, for, for people listening, the, the book is narrated by three characters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Helen, Joe and Mush. And all three of them have a different type of relationship to Kala. So Helen's like Kala's best friend. Uh, Joe is Kala's boyfriend and Mush is Kala's confidant. Um, and the three of them have different perspectives on Kala and what I wanted to do with the book basically um, this was actually influenced by uh, an essay uh, about Frank Sinatra from the 60s I don't know if you've uh, really? heard it there's an essay by a guy Gay Talese he wrote an essay about Frank Sinatra in the 60s and basically he was trying to interview Frank Sinatra and everyone in Sinatra's entourage kept saying, oh, no, Mr. Sinatra has a cold. So he was like trying to get to him from all these angles. He was talking to Sinatra's bodyguard. He was talking to the person who looked after Sinatra's toupee. He was mm-hmm. talking to Sinatra's mother and he couldn't get close to him. And then he gradually realized, wait, this is the story. If I just collage all of the voices, all of these different conflicting uh-huh. perspectives about Sinatra, I'm going to get a much richer, multidimensional version of Sinatra than I would if I just had a direct line to him. And in a way, Kala is like the Sinatra of the novel. She is the she is the heart of everything. Everything revolves around her. But you're getting these slightly contradictory perspectives on her from the different characters. And my hope is that those kind of gaps in the versions of Kala you're getting between the characters will leave a space for the reader to enter the book and form their own idea of who Kala is and form yeah. their own relationship to Kala. So she's like the cool yeah. damaged kid in the in a country town, isn't she? She's, you know, she's definitely she's very charismatic, um, you know, and, and whether she's a kind of charismatic presence or an enigmatic absence, which she is uh, as adults, mm. uh, when when the characters are adults, um she is She's she's like the sun conducting the planets of the book, if you know what I mean. It's interesting that you're away in Belgium because obviously we when we fast forward the fifteen years, there are people coming back. Uh, mm. Helen comes back from Canada. She's she's a journalist and a writer, and this this idea and it, it, there's an Irish kind of concept, isn't that? Sometimes I think subliminally we kind of almost travel just so we can talk about it when we go home. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All yeah. eventually coming home. Absolutely. I mean, like uh, it's definitely it's a classic thing in 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 Irish storytelling te- in general you know the homecoming and the idea of you know you can never you can never really go home if you know what I mean Mm. because obviously by the time you come home home has changed you have changed there's different relationship has to be formed there but you know I do think like that's something that I wasn't consciously doing that in the book but of course there is this sense of particularly for Helen and Joe that they're coming back to a place that they have very complicated relationship to and each of them are searching for different things by coming home and of course the events of the book are going to force them to confront different things in the past that maybe they've been trying to escape but I think that you know we were talking about you know teenagers in 2003 adults in 2018 I think generationally certainly among my peer group at least a lot of people did emigrate when Mm -hmm. the economic crash happened that really kind of that kind of shattered 
a lot of my friend group and kind of scattered everybody all over the place. So, you know, Australia, Canada, you know, everywhere. So um, that is something that I would definitely have in common with a lot of my friends is that all of us are kind of been scattered since mm. you know yeah since since our early adulthood almost the um, homecoming is is quite difficult when everyone's scattered around the place yeah it's always it's always a bit kind of fragmented and whatever you know but that's kind of i think like every family in the country will probably uh ha- be able to relate to that in some sense because everyone has the person who left or the people who left and you know it is just a classic thing that you're you know you're never you're never the only one at the departures lounge uh, in Dublin airport, you know, um, but that's kind of, that's part of it. But, you know, I think obviously there can be a melancholy to that as well. But I remember chatting to a friend of mine who he's a classic example of this. He left Ireland, moved to Germany. Then he was in, you know, England. Then he was back in Germany, That you know, and he was talking to me about how in Ireland, there's always a, there's a kind of melancholy about the, the way that people have historically had to emigrate over the years. Yeah. And of course, that's a very true thing. It's a painful thing. I think every family in the country can relate to that. But he was talking about, he, he talked about it in a way that I'd never heard anyone kind of frame it before, where he was saying that he was working in England for a while and he was doing a thing where he was he was making a documentary about people in Salford, uh, so near Manchester, a uh, very deprived uh, part of the place. And he's talking to people about, you know, why, why don't you why don't you leave? Like, why, yeah. why haven't you emigrated or whatever? And they were like, well, no way. I mean, England's the greatest country in the world. So I could never do that. <laughs> and he's and he said that, like, he said that the way that he thought about it was that in Ireland, we don't have that, but not in the way of like denigrating Ireland, but more like we've learned to respect ourselves as people enough to be like, I want, yeah, like I I want more from life than, than what I'm getting at the moment. So I'm going to, I'm going to go out and find it. Whereas a lot of the time, if you're in a place like, you know, a major power like France or the States or the UK, a lot of the time you've completely sort of drunk the Kool-Aid and decided, well, it can't be any better anywhere else. So I'm just going to, I'm going to be happy. Leaving is never even in the Yeah, it's not even in the conversation. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. I am fascinated by the, the generation you're talking about and they're in the book because your teenagers is the rise of the Celtic tiger. And by the time you finish education, enter your professional life, it's total austerity. And there's only one uh, route to life, which seems to be just getting out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, But you have the characters in the book as well who are still, who stay there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how do they fare? Um, well, Mush, uh, is the, from the group of friends, he is the, the one who stays and, you know, in many sense, like he, he anchors the book in certain ways, um, where, whether it's geographically, he's anchoring everyone back to the, to the place. He's, he anchors everyone to Kinloch, but also emotionally, I think, you know, he really is in, in some ways he's, he's the heart of this group of friends. Um, and he, he has stayed in, in Kinloch, but what you would see is, with Mush, for example, um, the horizons of his world have shrunk dramatically since he was a teenager. So when he's when he's a teenager with this group of friends, with Kala in particular, he's very emboldened by his friends. He's uh, he's adventurous. He's kind of getting up to all sorts of mischief. But when we meet him as an adult at the beginning of the book, you know, you're, you're really meeting someone who's who's quite broken. He's living a quasi reclusive sort of life. You know, he works yeah. in his mother's cafe gets up in the morning, does the work, has a few cans, goes to bed. You really get the sense that he hasn't really left 
this cafe for years, you know. It's a miserable uh, play. The texts coming in are people are fascinated, listening in fascination to Colin as a book lover and a former neighbour, says Teresa Lynch in County Galway. Oh, hey, Lynch. how's it going? Well, <laughs> <laughs> very good. And thanks, Colin, for putting Kinloch County Leitrim on the map. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I was waiting for, yeah, I didn't realise there was a Kinloch and I was told very late in the day and I was like, oh God, I'm going to be up in some defamation case or something. You're going to have to tour that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Categorically, this yeah. is not the place it's described. Yeah, yeah, it is um, not Kinloch and Leitrim. It is not Kinloch and Leitrim. I it's promise. called Cala, Colin Walsh, it's been an absolute pleasure and I, I believe there, there there may be plans to turn it into um, uh, something on the screen at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah, Because it yeah. feels cinematic and it would lend itself well. Yeah, would you be writing yeah. the screenplay if it... If I'm it, working on the, yeah, the oh, screenplays at the moment it's and happening? it's with, uh, yeah, it's with um, the people who adapted Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hole. Uh, so, uh, Not bad company them, so, to be. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, like just out of body experience, you know, but yeah, it's great. That's it. But Kala is the book. That's the novel. Get your hands on that. Um, first of all, loads of praise there in the back. You've got everyone there. Lisa McInerney, Roddy Doyle, Kevin Barry and Donald Ryan praising it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Like, continue to float along <laughs> yeah, all the way to going and up to Kinloch and back to Belgium. <laughs> and the best of luck with it. We'll take a quick break. Cheers.